If you would, please open your Bibles. We'll be reading from Romans chapter 5. That'll be verses 1 through 11. Again, that is Romans chapter 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled by God to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. One of the great many differences separating the many religious bodies today uh, involves faith as a condition of salvation. Almost all organizations, religious organizations, have differing opinions when it comes to uh, describing exactly what faith is. And what I mean, the uh, faith as how it affects one or what it does to a person, or how one incorporates faith when it comes to salvation. Even within the several organizations of the religious world uh, who claim Christianity, there is a vast difference when it comes to the subject of faith. Now, the faith under consideration this morning is one's personal faith. We're not talking about the gospel system of faith. We are talking about personal faith. Paul talked about uh, both in uh, the book of Romans, he talked about from faith to faith how the gospel system of faith produced one's personal faith. And so what we want to focus on this morning is what do we do with that personal faith? Or what exactly does that personal faith do within us? And what part does it play in salvation? In the same way as a physician or a doctor prescribes certain medications, the great physician has prescribed the necessity of faith when it comes to salvation. So when we go back and we do a historical study and we look at the first century church, we understand and we learn very quickly that they knew what the apostles meant when they talked about faith. They understand, talking about personal faith, they understood that faith was something much more, something much greater than just a mental assent something greater than an agreement that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. However, as time continued, different doctrines arose, and it began to affect the belief systems of what people thought concerning personal faith within the plan of salvation. For instance, 
the Gnostics in later origin taught that knowledge, facts of information, concrete knowledge, things you could touch and see and feel, outweighed faith. In other words, you can't put God in a test tube, therefore God does not exist. The Stoics believed concerning self-reliance, or their belief concerning self-reliance, that led to uh, the decline in confidence that God was the source of salvation. In his teachings, the philosopher Plato took away from faith the aspect of obedience because of his mystical leanings and mystical beliefs concerning God. Of course, Martin Luther, the uh, one of the Reformation leaders, he further supported that notion when he dismissed the book of James as an inspired document. Therefore, faith finally came to be viewed by most as simply mental assent. The doctrine of mental assent is completely contrary to what the Bible teaches concerning faith. Now, our goal is to answer the question, what is the proper description of biblical faith? We need to be able to look at faith and describe it. What, what aspects of faith uh, can we look at and can we zero in on and say, yes, that is a biblical faith. It has certain characteristics. We will look at the aspects of faith taught in the Bible and what the inspired writers confirmed as necessary for one's personal faith to be that kind of faith that is described in the New Testament. The title of the sermon this morning is The Description of Faith. So let's begin with this. Biblical faith must always begin with information. Information. The it's better felt than taught is absolutely contrary to what the Bible teaches. You have to begin with information and Paul pointed to some very necessary facts. And they involved personal faith being produced from the gospel system of faith. We're not going to get our faith from any other source. We're not going to get our personal faith from our parents or from other family members. It must come from the gospel system of faith. He explained, Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The writer of Hebrews also said, Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So Paul said we had to hear and had to learn something. The writer of Hebrews are told, uh, told us what that was. We're to, we're to listen to the gospel, and we're to believe that God is. God exists. God is who He says He is. And that can be proven, right? Seeking God indicates there are necessities involved in that. If you seek something, that means you have to do something to gain that thing. If you're seeking anything, you have to do something to get it. Because He is God, Paul told Titus, He cannot lie. Titus 1, 1 through 2. And if He cannot lie, it stands to reason. If we believe He is or that He exists... We must believe or have faith in what he says, and we must search that thing out, right? 
So we must hear and believe what He has given us, and then that will produce faith. So what has He given us? He's given us the system of faith. He's given us the gospel. That was the whole point of Christ coming to earth. So if we believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. That means we have to do something. But here's the thing, that's never been enough. That's never been enough. The facts which produce faith must take form in our lives. And the results of faith then can be seen. If God's existence is not recognized, it is useless knowledge. Have you ever seen knowledge that was useless? What is useless knowledge? Well, knowledge is useless if it is not put to use, right? A person may go to uh, school to be a doctor. They may become one of the greatest doctors that uh, the world has ever known. And unless they put that knowledge to use, it does no one any good. And so it becomes useless knowledge. If a doctor prescribes medication and you set it on the shelf and it could heal your problem, yet you do not take that medication it becomes a useless medication. If the gospel is given to someone and they refuse it, the gospel becomes useless to that person. See, it must take form in one's life. Someone says, well, you've missed the grace of God, the work of the Savior in the scheme of redemption and the faith that brought about those facts. You've missed all of those things. No, we honor all that God has done for us. Through Jesus, but we also recognize the fact that personal responsibility comes into play there. We have to take upon ourselves a responsibility to take the medicine, to use the knowledge, to do the things necessary to make the gospel useful for the individual. Think about all the things Jesus did while he walked on the earth. Think about those. He had faith in the Father, didn't he? But he still had to do the things required of him to accomplish his mission. Notice what the writer of Hebrews said, Hebrews 5.8. To me, it's one of the saddest verses that we read in the Bible. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Why would anyone believe that there is no such thing as personal responsibility when it comes to salvation when an innocent Jesus had to do so much. If an innocent man had to suffer like he suffered, why would a guilty person not have to do anything to gain salvation? That just doesn't make sense. You see, the whole of the Bible is full of personal responsibility on the part of the believer. And that goes beyond information. That goes beyond gaining the facts of what the truth is. He's given us information which leads to salvation, but we have to do something with it. We can't just set it on the shelf or it is useless. So a true description of faith must go beyond information, but that is one descriptive term. What is a description of faith? Well, you have to start with information, but we have to add something to it. You must have affirmation. That's our second descriptive term. One must conclude, when we talk about affirmation, that's me affirming I believe it, that Jesus is 
the Son of God, that He is who He said He was. We talked about in class this morning. We talked about the miracle of the paralytic man, the man with palsy who was let down through the roof at Peter's home, and Jesus forgave him of his sins and told him to take up his bed. <clears throat> Only God can forgive sin. If we're going to please God, the writer of Hebrews said, we must believe that He is. Well, we have to believe God is who He says He is, and that what He says is true because He cannot tell a lie. Well, we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God, which puts Him on an equal footing with God. He is God. That's part of the information, right? I have to affirm that. Jesus said, I said therefore, John eight twenty four, unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. Now notice what He said prior to that. John 3, beginning with verse 15. That whosoever believeth in me should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And we know the rest. That's probably one of the most well-known verses in the world. Right? So He says, If you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins. Well, He gave us the, the remedy for that. For God loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him, that's information, but that's also affirmation, should not perish. That word should is so important. <coughs> should not. He said won't, will not, and that's the problem with some of the modern versions. We have to be careful. They put on there will not. They translate that will not. Should not perish. Well, you shouldn't if you have the information and you have affirmation. You shouldn't perish. To believe in something means we affirm what it teaches, right? Jesus never intended for anyone to understand all that is needed is a simple affirmation or affirming He was who He said He was. Is it important? Is it necessary? Is it part of the description? Yes, it is. But we can't stop there. He always indicated we must do something to access His promise of salvation. Notice what He told, told those who wanted to be saved, Mark eight thirty four. He said, deny Himself and take up His cross and follow Me. It cannot be denied that that requires the follower to do something. You have to do something. If you're going to take up the cross, deny self and follow Jesus... That requires some action from someone. Therefore, it is concluded, faith must be composed of something more than a mental assent. We still have affirmation. How do we know that? Well, fortunately, we have recorded for us those who acted in faith in God and those who did not. We remember King Agrippa. Paul stood before Festus. And he was <clears throat> preaching the gospel. And then he looked over at King Agrippa. He said, do you believe? He said, I know you do. And then Agrippa told Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Acts 26, 25 through 28. Agrippa knew what the prophets taught. I believe Agrippa believed what the prophets taught. He, uh, he had the information. He had the affirmation. My brother Agrippa was not saved. James spoke about that very faith that Agrippa had in his letter. 
Let's go over to James and read what he said. James chapter 2, beginning verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? In both cases, information and affirmation were only two aspects of those examples, and so they were lacking something. You see, those who twist the biblical description of what faith is to accommodate this idea of a faith-only doctrine, they need to investigate God's information a little closer. According to them, conversion is immediate upon believing that Jesus Christ is who He said He was. But what about the demons of which James spoke? What about King Agrippa? King Agrippa believed he was not saved. Many of the rulers of Jesus' day believed. They would not confess him, yet they, therefore they were not saved, John twelve forty two. John made the point that something beyond information and affirmation was necessary for one to be saved. So if we're going to describe to someone, and we need to be able to do this, If we're going to describe to someone what biblical faith is, because there's a big question, we have to start, well, it has information. It absolutely has affirmation. No one's going to disagree with that. But there must be more. We must have determination. Now let's talk about what that means. The believer must be determined to rely upon God's Word and not what other people say. Paul accepted Christ as the source of his and everyone else's salvation. And that is the problem in the denominational world today. Notice what he told Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, verse 16. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me, first Jesus Christ, might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him, to life everlasting. You know, most people, I don't think most people realize that a Muslim claims to believe in the God of Abraham. You know what God we believe in? God of Abraham. Now here's the problem. There are a whole lot of reasons why the religion of Islam is the doctrine of the devil, but one of them is that they don't believe in Christ as the Son of God. If you do not believe in Christ as the Son of God, you do not believe in the God of Abraham. So someone along the way, and his name was Muhammad, taught a false doctrine, and now you've got over a billion adherents to that terrible religion. You think they got faith wrong in there somewhere? Because they listened to someone else. They didn't listen to the Bible. They didn't listen to the prophecy. They didn't look at the Old Testament and and learn who that prophet like unto Moses was going to be talked about in Deuteronomy 18. They didn't do that. They listened to another person. You see, that's not part of the description that we read about in the New Testament or in the Bible in general about faith. Both Paul and Peter quoted from the prophet Isaiah 
when he said, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Now Peter's quotes found in 1 Peter 2, 6. Paul quoted that in Romans 9, 33. Uh, both accepted the fact that Christ being the cornerstone of a saving faith. We have to rely on God, not someone else. Christ is God. Peter explained Christ's work in man's salvation, Acts 4, 10 through 12, culminating in this statement, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We cannot rely upon anyone else who comes with their own religion. And that statement mirrors the one Paul made in our passage this morning. But again, isn't there something more than merely accepting Christ as the one on whom we rely for salvation? We must react to His authority. There has to be something that we have to do to make sure that the faith we are describing is a biblical faith. The the reaction for which God desires is obedience to His commands. Isn't that simple? Why is that so hard? We must have that determination. Paul spoke about Abraham's faith. Why? Because people understand Abraham. They understand Abraham. The Jews understand Abraham. Christians understand Abraham. Muslims believe they understand Abraham. That's why he is the perfect example. And they go all the way back to Abraham. He said this, Romans 4 beginning verse 1, What shall we say then? That Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. See, Paul spoke of an obedient faith, not a meritorious faith. If anyone had the ability to brag... Abraham, but he still didn't have the ability to brag. It was counted for him as faith. It was put on his account because he was obedient to what God asked him to do. It wasn't that, that he had accomplished so many great things. He did, but it was that he simply acknowledged or was acknowledged as great because he obeyed. You see, that's the reaction. And that's the final descriptive term that we need to understand when we are describing faith. Unbelief and disobedience are described as being the same thing. The writer of Hebrews said, And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Hebrews 3, 18-19. See, he's talking about those who were going to enter into uh, the land of promise, 
They did not believe God was going to carry them through. Their faith was not what it should have been. They did not rely upon God. Let's listen. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 13, 32 and 33. Let's listen to the words of disobedience and unbelief. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And they... And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. If one does not do the things that God has asked them to do, they are non-believers because of their disobedience. You see, that's not biblical faith. If we're describing what the New Testament faith is, what biblical faith is, It must require obedience. Grace is not received until obedience is given. Notice again what Paul said about Abraham. His faith is counted for righteousness. His What kind of faith? His biblical faith? His obedient faith. That's what biblical faith is. There's no doubt faith saves. No doubt about it. That's what Paul said. That's what the Holy Spirit taught. But if one's faith lacks any aspect, the inspired writers demanded in their description, it's not the description of faith found in the Bible. It can't be just a mental ascent. And that conclusion will never be drawn from the doctrines of denominational leaders. It's not going to be found there. But if we want to find the description of what God believes faith is, that will be found in the doctrine of Jesus written by the Holy Spirit as He led the prophets of the Old and the New Testament. Let's ask the question today, what is the description of my faith? If faith has brought us to the point where we believe that Jesus is He, is He he is who He said He was, it makes me want to repent of the sins in my life, makes me want to confess that He is the Son of God, makes me want to be baptized for the remission of my sin, causes me to want to live a faithful life, causes me to want to repent and confess sin as as that enters into my life as a Christian, then my faith is a biblical faith and can be described as such. You have to have information, affirmation, and determination. And within that, It all culminates in obedience. And that's what determination is. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this day, do that as we stand and as we sing.